Welcome, Stab listeners, to the first episode of the Stab Mike, a podcast about money, influence, and culture, with an emphasis on high-performance surfing, of course. For Stab's new toe dip into the podcasting pool, our founder and traditionally silent puppet master, Sam McIntosh, will be playing your reluctant host. And it won't be your standard surf talk show, as there are plenty of terrific ones out there already. Though, of course, we prefer Chris Cote and Todd Richards' Monday Mass, and Jed and Vaughn's Ain't That Swell. Uh, if you do feel like sitting and listening to two guys talk about surfing. For this podcast, we're going to be getting to the subjects that Sam finds fascinating, which just so happen to be the most popular stories that we publish on our website. So, Sam McIntosh, why are we here? What's this podcast all about? It's an interesting one, because last year we did the Stab in the Dark shoot with Mick Fanning in Japan. We are there for a week, and it was just fascinating to see how much he had going on, well beyond the sort of realms of surf. And then how engaged he was with trying to think about himself as a business. And so I thought, if we're going to start a podcast like this, he'd probably be the perfect entry point. Uh, you are someone who people in the surf world who are not necessarily uh, skilled businessmen, you are often a person that people seek out for advice and for uh, sage wisdom. But I guess we've made plenty of mistakes. And we've been pretty transparent about our mistakes, and I guess that's how we've how we're still here or we're just trucking along i don't know i guess we do what we say we're going to do and i think we use the information in a good way i don't think it's ever in a negative way so i feel good about that and i always like to know like market value always trumps performance and so that's just fascinating to me because you know how angry people get on our forums at least like why is i don't know why is alex knows worth worth more than laurie towner or mm -hmm. How is Clay Marzo not on a deal like Rob Machado? But there's so much more to these things in surfing talent. So all these little background stories and why people have value is, is really interesting. Uh, for me, thinking about as a, if you're a kid growing up, I feel like this sort of information would have been absolutely precious and priceless uh, entering into the industry, thinking about yourself as a, you know, a, a potential future pro surfer. Uh, I feel like these conversations will actually f uh, will yield some very useful learnings for anybody who's interested in the industry in general. Yeah, and for someone like Mick, it seems for us now that he came out of the womb born a professional. But he, like, like he rightly admits in this, he used to be a dick at press conferences or do these things wrong. Like, he wasn't always like that way. It was a learned skill. And so it's really good just getting the insight from him because he's really candid, way more candid than I would have expected he was. Uh, so the three pillars that we've been talking about, money, influence, and culture, uh, what types of people do you foresee having these sorts of conversations with? You, can't, you obviously can't talk to Mick Fanning every week. Uh, I just feel like people who have taken different roads or have had different opportunities or created their own space. Like I think Jamie O'Brien is the best value bet in surfing right now. And he's done it all on his own. He didn't wait for media or anything to push him up. He didn't wait for contest results. And he just went and broke a new path. So I, I think that's impressive. He also wasn't somebody who, when his sort of starred, started to sort of lose a little bit of its luster that just sort of cried sour grapes. He went and rebuilt himself as something different. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people out there who would all learn a lot about that we didn't actually think had that depth to them. I, I know Jamie's one of those people. And do you yeah. feel like uh, talking about these subjects, you're actually able to learn a lot more about these people than if you were just to sit down and have a conversation about the subject of surfing and who they like and who they want to 
see win on tour and what boards they're riding and what dimensions their short boards are versus their small wave boards. We work at a surf magazine and I did not need to hear about another fucking bottom turn. <laughs> it's like, you know what it's like. But what's fascinating to me is there's $12 million surfers in the history of surfing. So they've had million dollar marquee deals, the sticker on the nose deal. And there's only one surfer who's been able to hold on to that off tour and that's Mick Fanning. There's only one Red Bull athlete in the entire world who doesn't have to wear the Red Bull hat. That's Mick Fanning. Those things don't really come out of normal interviews. And I'm just, I don't want to hear about the shark attack or retiring or. So I don't know. I think we might have a really small target market, but I think it should be still be interesting. Well, I can't imagine a better place to start off this conversation. Uh, this is the first episode of Stab Mike with Sam McIntosh and our first guest. Mr. Michael Eugene Fanning. The Stab Mic is brought to you by Bird Products. Grooming goods born in the surf, greased in the streets, and designed for the everyday gentleman with reverence for a simpler, slicker time. Bird Products are all natural, produced from the land and sea. Toss a little pomade in your hair and suds up for an effortlessly handsome look that no bird could resist. Look slick, relax, and enjoy the show. Bird's Nest in Newport Beach in California and we're doing a podcast with Mick Fanning called The Stab Mike and the M, the I and the C are money, influence and culture and so we're talk- today we're talking about the business of Mick Fanning and there's no surf talk, we can't talk about surf. You ready to go? Let's go, I don't need to talk about surf. Over the years, I've worked with just loads and loads of surfers, and I think there is, I guess, a cliche that surfers are slackers, especially surfers in your generation, uh, which is, I guess, can be true, but there are those anomalies. There's like the Tajas and the Julians and the Danes. They're hard workers. But what I realized when we did Stab in the Dark last year in Japan, you were at another level of work that I hadn't seen before. And it really took me by surprise. So to give you an example, typically for, we'll do a stab shoot and we have a sponsor. So I called you and said, hey, Mick, are you cool to drink Corona? And you're like, nah, I don't think so. We just, we've got Volta, mm. it's a competing beer, we have big aspirations. I was like, cool. He said, look, let me talk to the boys. And you called me back and said, yeah, just give me a bit, I've got some ideas. And in the same period, and not that I'm trying to call him out, but this is just what happened, I was trying to do electric acid the electric acid surfboard test. I was trying to do it with Joel. I was like, hey Joel, we want to do this electric surfboard acid test for you. Uh, he's like, sick, sounds good. And I said, just one catch, it's sponsored by Corona. He's like, fuck that, can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, it's non-negotiable? And he's like, nah, I'm out. And I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> and then you call me back and say, hey, I've got this new startup, this Awaco business. Mm. I think the narrative could work well. And we pulled it together on that and then from the moment we got to Japan from got in jet lagged and you're just there making sure all your boards are all stick it up ready to go and the work ethic for those eight days blew my mind uh, just just was just non-stop and if you weren't if you weren't tuning up the boards you were working out where to surf or you were planning the whatever there was just so much you were just so heavy handed on the execution of the whole thing 
And I wanted to know if you always had that work ethic or when it kicked. Um, some people might say no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, some people might say you don't have the work ethic? <laughs> no, 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 I was lazy as hell. Like growing up, I sort of was always, you know, a little kid playing soccer. I'd go out and practice my soccer moves or um, running, I'd go and do runs by myself. And, and it, I didn't, probably didn't know what I was doing half the time, but I wasn't scared of trying. Yeah. Um, and that was always something that I always uh, tried to work in with my ethics was try something once and see if it works or not. And my other thing is that like I, I, I see surfers and stuff like that and they've got people carrying their boards down the beach and this and that. And to me, I'm just like, I wouldn't ask someone to do something that I wouldn't do myself. And it, even when I had like uh, Phil you know, with me on, on the road and stuff. You know, I'm dragging two board bags and stuff and he like, do you want me to grab one? And I'm like, oh I, oh, I felt weird, like, asking someone else to carry my shit. Really? Yeah, it's just, it's just always been the way. And I'm, at least if, I, if I'm making the calls, then I'm the only one to blame. I don't, I don't like putting that pressure on other people. And so is it a control freak thing or what is it? For the jobs that I want to do, yeah, probably. Yeah. Because um, I know how I want to do things. Um, but, then there, but then there's times where I'll just be a, a total passenger. And, yeah. you know, and, and, but it took a while to get in that mode. Like, I think it's sort of like when I was on tour, I would book where I'm staying. I would book my flights. Just so I knew everything that was going on. There was no surprises. I knew where I wanted to eat. I didn't have to worry about it. I didn't, I didn't want to be like, hey, um, can you go get me some food and then come back? It's like, oh, shit, I can't eat that. So it's, it's just easier for me to just do it than rather explain it. Well, Stab in the Dark, for example, we, you, I don't think you even got to a beach where you had to put wax on. It was all just done. You'd rock up, pull the board out, ready to go. As opposed to, oh, shit, I've got to put one of my 30. How many have you <laughs> stickers on the board? Still but, need um, more. <laughs> and even in the organisation. So we were going to Mexico. The waves looked shitty. And then you found the guy to look after us. You found the swell. You knew where we were staying. And it was... Because I'm usually the control freak pulling it all together. And mm. I didn't really have any jobs to do. Yeah. I just had to show up. <laughs> which was so strange. It, it, yeah, look, it, it's just one of those things. It, it's like... I, I sort of know who to, to to hit and stuff in different places. And, and it's just easy. They're, like, the. There'll be trips where I don't have a single clip and I'm just like... You're the out. talent. I'm just like, <laughs> tell me when to go surf, you know. But in saying that, I still want to be ready and, and um, have everything going so I'm not missing waves or missing swells. And It doesn't matter if you're in you know, an event or free surfing. you you just got to just gotta be ready. <laughs> Was it... Did you need the time? Was it too hard to do... Like when you when you're on the tour trying to focus on the world tour, on the world title, is it too hard to do stuff on the side? Um, you sort of go through phases of what you do with money. So you know when you're first going through the tour, first going through, uh, you know, building yourself up to a point, it's like, give me all the money I can get, <laughs> and then <laughs> invest it. I always invested in um, in real estate. I, I didn't know much about stocks and all that sort of stuff and, and I'm sort of more of a 
look and feel sort of guy. I'm not great with like, okay, this thing's going to go up here. How can you tell? Like, I just, I just didn't get it. So I, I didn't go there. And then, so buying real estate and just trying to pay that off as much as you possibly can. And then it was sort of it transitioned into a point where, okay, my career's coming to an end. How do I prepare myself for money? Not so much today, but in 10 years' time. And that, that, was, that was why I started looking at different companies and different uh, ventures that people know about now, yeah. So before we get into those specifics you dive into, going back, because I've been friends with Taj forever, and when you guys are sort of top of the food chain surfers, probably all kind of athletes with that, like what's... Who's your counsel is to be run these these things by? Like, who, who do you go to? Um, there's a few different people. Obviously, talk to my mum, who you know she sort of helped me learn about like business and and you know she was sort of like manage, helping me manage myself. She got to a point where she was like, people were really nice to her, and she'd be like oh yeah you've got to do it this person's awesome <laughs> and it's like no mum it's not like that <laughs> um, but she, you know she's just so so trusting and stuff and then it was sort of a few different friends that are surfers or what kind of people just people in different worlds you know like guys like Ronnie Blakey was one he sort of done all my media for the, a fair while um, you know, and then I have my nerd friend Lincoln, and so he would be able to tell me about what's going on in the, um, like in the computer worlds and all that sort of stuff. And then, and then I've got a lot of mates that, um, like some of my best mates, work in the industry, you know, in clothing and stuff like that. So they know all that sort of thing. So it was sort of like a group collective that I'd sort of hit and ask them and see what they would say. And, and then a lot of it was more if I believed in it and I thought I would use the product or if it was something that I didn't feel bad about telling someone about, then it would resonate well with me. And, and that was sort of like the checklist that I'd go through, yeah. So it's a service you have to use, and if you would use it, then you could see value in it for other people, and so that was kind of the thing that was going, yep, I'm in. Yeah, yeah, like, you know, there, there's been opportunities where people are like, oh, I really, really want to do this, and I've got this great spiel, and, and then I'd sit down, and, you know, at first, you know, you buy into it, and, you, and then you take a step back, and you're like, um, how the fuck do I explain this <laughs> you know and, yeah. and that would be that would be the trigger like I, I wouldn't really get into the the numbers side of things too much I, it was more yeah if if I could explain it simply to someone then I feel like someone had done their job and and then I could get on with it and and then also just aligning myself with products my whole career I sort of wanted to be performance based so I wanted to be the the best in performance so the product was falling apart it was just like oh but in saying that, I, I've made some, you know, made some things where I look back and go, "What I do that for?" <laughs> what fits into that zone? Probably speed fins. <laughs> oh, you were part of speed fins. No, I wasn't part of it, but like even just like, <laughs> were they the dimpled ones like the golf ball? No, no, the other ones are like first sort of clicking ones. Like the the concept was great, just <laughs> yeah, they just didn't perform too well. So that was before FCS. Yeah, it was before I joined FCS. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. Okay, so let's get into then the ones that have been successful. Mm -hmm. The ones that you're most passionate about and the ones that are kind of look like they're going to be the biggest success. 
So which one is the one you kind of most, I guess you're passionate about them all, but which one? Probably, probably the most, like they're all still really new. A lot of them are, are still under five. Probably. Yeah, so you launched Bolter 2015, mm. Softboards 2016? Yeah, I think. <laughs> I yeah, so like the softboards are only in their second year. Opkicks cameras, they've launched, but you know, going through teething problems at yeah. the moment, but they'll come good. That has sort of been more established and been there for longer. That I've sort of just acquired percentages was um, like Creatures and Vertra. And they just sort of just came out in contract sort of thing. They're never going away, you know. And so how did it come to that? Were you thinking, okay, I need to get equity in these brands as I moved to the sort of sunset years of my career? Or have they said, hey, we can't afford what we have to pay you? Like, how's it work? Do you still get checks or you, um, is it sweat equity? How's it all come together? Yeah, look, it's funny. <laughs> I've had this conversation like just in the last sort of few years, just with, no, dealing with contracts and stuff like that. It's like, I don't need the money today. I need it in 10 years' time. So if I was able to make money to, you know, get your monthly check or whatever, but then I was sort of like, oh, is there any way I can sort of get in with the company? And and I think I think also, too, if you've got skin in the game, then you do a better job. You know, a, a friend of mine said that when we started Bolter. He's like, how much skin in the game you got? I'm like... I don't know. <laughs> and it's hard to get to the end of the month and rather than picking up the check, you're writing the check. Yeah. Like, how, long, how long do we have to do this for? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I feel like, as I said, you do a better job. Like when you're a kid and you're like, oh, you've got to go do this signing and stuff like that. You're like, oh, shit, do I have to? Where now it's like, all right, well, let's, let's do it properly. Let's be engaged with people that you're meeting, be engaged with what you're you're doing and so yeah it's just it's just a matter of just doing a better job not only for the company but for yourself as well and are you the biggest shareholder of Volta? I'm one of them most of the founders have similar and how how risk averse are you putting your own cash in line on a scale of say one to ten where where would you sit you think I really don't give a shit about money to to, to be really honest (laughs) (laughs) I didn't grow up with money so I don't really care too much so just a battler from Ballina. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, you know, it was sort of more just... Like, if I, if I lose money, then it's like, all right, lesson learned. Don't go down that path. Yeah. It's like winning and losing heats, really. Okay, so the biggest, the biggest beer success story, at least in the surf space, was the St. Archer acquisition. Mm. 70-odd million or whatever. Uh, did you get offered to be a part of that? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I met up with the guys early on and as I said I, I probably wasn't I probably wasn't ready to invest in companies and stuff like that at that stage I was still you know well title head yeah and then also too I was sort of like beer like I still drink two E's or four X <laughs> or just just shit beer <laughs> and um, I sort of couldn't get my head around it yeah and six months in I was like you idiot you should have jumped on that one you know but um, and then I was super stoked for them, like when they all, when, when it all went really well for them. And, you know, obviously um, the great mate Knox, you know, did really well. And I was just stoked and we would oh. talk shit with each other all the time. It was great. <laughs> I love the Dusty Payne story as well. So he went in and then, you know, every time they were to keep raising cash. Yeah. Otherwise he'd get diluted. He just ponied up and they said more cash, ponied up. Really? And so, yeah, he's, uh, he's done really well. Oh, that's good. Yeah, look. If you, if you believe in a product, 
and you can see where it's going, then back it. Yeah, know? but that's that's an anomaly of doing what they did in two or three years or whatever it was. Mm. Like most things are ten years or Yeah, well it all depends on where you wanna what you want your company to do too. Is it is it a is it a ten year plan and sell or is it a two year plan and sell? Or is it this is gonna go through my kids, grandkids, great grandkids. Oh yeah, yeah, you're you know, that one yeah. Like there's there's so many different ways to do it. Dynasty. Oh yeah, <laughs> have a kid first. <laughs> and so you're giving it to me, dogs. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think the bolter? Like I heard the bolter deal is we're never selling for under hundred mil. Is it a, like is it a ten year plan? To be really honest, we when we went into it, it was hilarious actually. We we um, me and Bede were flying to. Uh, Hawaii for the last event of the year and, and uh, he's like oh, I really want to ask you a question I'm like what's up and he's like do you want to start a brewery and I'm like okay he's like well, do you want to ask any questions I was like no not really and he's, he's like well and I'm like I've, I've got like I'll probably I'm sure I'm going to have questions later but I sort of looked at it we were pretty much laughing it's like look it could be really really good or we just got free beer for life. <laughs> it's it's sweet. <laughs> so um, the back of your mind was it the because I guess before the acquisition of Saint Archie, you knew how well it was going. Mm-hmm. Did you think okay, we could probably do something similar to this in Australia and ride that's It's not a it's it's a comparable business model at least. Like to be to be really honest, I didn't really know much about craft beer, I and mean, I didn't know much about the world in that in that realm or anything like that. To me, it was just. As I said, it was just, I want to do something with my mates and um, want to have a lot of fun doing it. Yeah, the first probably first year was fun and now that all the boys are stressed and we sort of step back a little bit. No, it's it's definitely something that, you know, we've had a lot of fun doing. Like, just the early memories in it too, just like R&D days. Yeah. You know, just going, R&Ds, like going to the pub and trying every beer in the pub. Yeah. It was awesome. I mean, remember, it was just after um, B broke his pelvis of pipe and we're like wheeling him around, you know, from surfers all the way back to Cooley. Yeah, it was, it was pretty funny. Like, we were like, yeah, we've been real gentle with him and then by the end of it, we're trying to ghost him down the street and stuff. It was, it was pretty awesome. So back on the subject of sponsorship, I kind of was thinking about it historically and you've walked the line like no other surf industry. Uh, I'll just give you some examples. So Ripco makes shoes, but you're still able to ride for Reef. Mm-hmm. Ripco make eyewear, but you still ride for Dragon. Mm-hmm. All Red Bull care about is the winner in the hat. You did plenty of winning, but you didn't give up the hat. Mm. Uh, and then the most impressive of all is how you navigated the path between creatures for accessories, but then FCS for fins, even though FCS make outstanding leg ropes and tail pads. How have you done it? Because I've been riding for all of them for 150 years. That, that's pretty much how it all sort of came about. So we'll start at the top, Rip Curl and Reef. They sort of, back in the day, they sort of went hand in hand. Sponsored by Rip Curl, you sponsored by Reef Shoes. And yeah, there, so there was no, no ownership thing, it was just a, that was just a sort of a happy marriage. Just, yeah, well, it was sort of like, you know, down in Torquay, you got Rip Curl here, around the corner is Reef, yeah. and then you had... Um, Oakley or Dragon so you just took your pick yeah yeah and with the shoe thing when Rip Curl did start making shoes it was sort of around the time when the the sandal came out and they're like alright 
your reef contract's going to be up and you're going to be riding for Rip Curl Shoes. And I was like, well, if you're willing to pay me this, then let's go. Yeah. And they were like, <laughs> stay on the roof. <laughs> and I was like, okay, cool. And so that Rich, was that one. And Rich started making board shorts. It's even more problematic. Like with all the sort of ones that you mentioned, um, like Dragon was my pretty much my longest standing sponsor. Um, I was sponsored by Dragon when I used to be sponsored by Quicksilver back in the day, since I was like 15 or 16. So, you know, that was always a thing. Was, that one never really came up. It was, it, I don't think Rip Curl were too concerned about that. The With, Red Bull, how did you pull that one off? Um, yeah, look, when I first signed, I, I didn't, didn't wear a hat. And then that was sort of, could step back out of that one. And I just let Rip Curl and Red Bull talk. All right. Yeah. And, and so, because that's all they care about. Uh, I think they're more concerned about the can. <laughs> yeah, look, <laughs> it, I'm sort of like the only athlete without a hat. The only know? one on the entire roster. I think so. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wonder how long for it. No, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, I sort of put it around in different ways and, and give them different assets in different different ways. Oh. Yeah, look, I was, I was happy. Yeah. You know, I'm happy to put on every hat, but, you know, um, well, look, the, Ridgeway, Ridgeway will probably uh, chop my balls off if I did, but... Okay, well, what about, how'd you do the Creatures FCS one? FCS pretty much only made fins for, for a long time, and that's when I sort of jumped on FCS, and then I'd been on Creatures since... I, w I went off for a couple of years, but then went back, but I've been on them since I was like... 16 as well. FCS was happy that, you know, they were sort of in two different spaces. You know, they did the, the pads, oh, sorry, Creatures did the pads, the leg ropes, board bags. But even Rip Curl made board bags. <laughs> so it's like, it's it coming from all angles. But um, yeah. it got funny when Creatures started making fins. And I was just like, oh no, <laughs> this is going to be a great headache, this one. And I spoke to FCS and Creatures and I was just like, well, I'm going to ride FCS fins because they're the best. I'm not riding Creatures fins. Creatures pads and leg ropes for me are, are better. Yeah. And, and I was like, well, I want to sort of do both. And, you know, they, they both, let's put it this way. Companies have opportunities to, to buy you out of these different areas. But then they just like, oh, we can just use them for, <laughs> and for the, a little bit less, you know. And, and they still got, get the same benefit. You got the high selling pad at Creatures and then... Your fin sales at FCS are three or four X the next person along. Yeah. So I know I should start taking royalties <laughs> off of two or two. No. Well, we've got to get to that. We'll get yeah. to that soon. So historically, every single person in that sort of upper echelon of the tour who gets the million dollar marquee deal, like the, the, the nose sticker deal, the moment they fall off tour or elect to go off tour, that goes away. And you're the first one to break that deal to come off tour and still get the seven-figure sticker deal on the nose? I'm lucky in the sense that, that the search is there and that sort of keeps me still relevant. And then, yeah, look, it, it <laughs> sort of... It, I, look, I don't know. Hopefully it lasts forever, but I know it doesn't. I don't know. I, I guess people see value in my rough head. I, I, I don't know why. Like, I, I, my thing was, like, I still want to be relevant, but just in a different world. 
it's not, I don't want to be in the contest side of things anymore and sort of just trying to test out this free surfing gig side and <laughs> I'm, I'm pestering the companies more, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this and they're like, just hold the brakes a little bit mate, <laughs> yeah, we, haven't got, think... we haven't got all the money for the budget to all the things you want to do so I haven't got an answer, I think you might have to ask, you know, Claw and Brian or something. From the outside looking in, so John John has got the biggest ever marquee deal in surfing. And so he was out two thirds of last year, now he's gonna be out half of this year. And now he starts once upon a time he couldn't even do an at tag at Hurley on his Instagram. He was just he was just a closed book. And I have a feeling this is my conspiracy theory, he's just started his new YouTube channel and I think he's trying to get out in front of it before people start looking and say, Hey, your value is on tour because he's I don't mm. know what you've seen, he's just started pumping out. I guess everyone in Hawaii does a vlog now, but yeah. you bet he's joined that. No. He's, he's been so insular and, and closed off, so... I sort of look at that too, and it, it's, it's sort of a, a weird one. Like, like, there's a lot of people that sort of, like, close down and, and, and don't work with the companies. And I always sort of looked at someone like Shane Dorian. Yeah. Like, and I remember one quote, someone's like, you've got so many stickers on your board, and he's like, yep, but I ain't never working. You know, and that was his thing. He's like, pays the bills. And so I was all of him. He's on something. <laughs> and I think it sort of just just makes you... Um, like, there's there's definitely times where I've butted heads with companies. and But you have to work through those. But it's a, it's a partnership. You're it's only going to get out of your athlete what the athlete wants to give. And so you do all your negotiations? Yep. Wow. That's crazy. Because I don't think... It's, it's not easy for someone to represent themselves because like, you, know how there's, you can go to a manager and say, oh, mixed blowing, you should be doing this, this, and this. And it's kind of like there's this, almost like this Switzerland type person mm. who's the, mid, the middleman. Mm. But it's, it's, I guess if you're a worker, that doesn't matter because you're so delivering. Yeah, look, there were, there were a lot of times where I thought, oh, I'll go and get a manager and, and do this and that. And then I saw the prices and I was like, well, I can do that. <laughs> you know? You know what? I don't want 80% of everything. I'll take 100%. You might only get 10% more. And you've got to give 20, an extra 10% away. So you, you're sort of kicking yourself in the ass. Um, sorry to all the managers out there. But, but look, I've... I've you know, I've had managers come to me in the past and I'll just tell them straight up. I'm like, look, if you find me a deal, I'm happy to work with you. I'll just give you a 10% flat fee. Till then, I'm not signing with anyone. And I wrote, I wrote a list here. They don't have much room to move. There's 12 sponsors. No. There's like, they've got to be pretty inspired to try to find a gap in there that doesn't overlap with someone else. It's good going on your own. Yeah. <laughs> I've had help there. Um, yeah, there's a couple in there that I've had help with, but... Um, Sometimes it gets hard <laughs> having that many sponsors. Photo shoots get long. It'd be awesome if you had one sticker on your board and you could pay off your mortgage. That'd be great. You got yeah. the same as, but you know, in reality, that's not the way it is. Uh, can we talk about the reef sandal? If you want. The highest selling product ever to come from the surf industry. So 11 million pairs sold. And then people used to refer, refer to your house on the Gold Coast, the, um, the house that the reef sandal built, yeah? Still do. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, can you tell us about that and how it all came came about and when you approached was it your idea or was it was a product given to you or? Uh, to be really honest no it wasn't my idea yeah look it was I just signed a new deal with with Reef and they were like hey we've got this idea we want to put a bottle opener in a sandal and I was just like if you want to okay and, and I, I was sort of like at that point where I just didn't really care I wasn't 
as I said, I was just more focused on competing and yeah. and I was like, give me what you want me to wear and they brought it out and um, feel sorry for the designer. He didn't put any royalties in his contract. Oh, for himself? <laughs> no. Oh, even a 10 cent royalty at 11 million yeah, pairs or something? I'll just send him a, a pallet of <laughs> bolter. And in reality, and sorry to interrupt, but the royalty you've got is a pretty small one as well. Mm. It was one of those things where we just threw it in there. Yeah, it was, just, it was just a royalty and then I would get a salary on top of that and I was like, cool, that's, that's fine. And then it just kept selling and selling and selling and selling. And it's funny, I, I run into people and, and people are like, I've been wearing this because it's been going for 15 years now. You would have had no idea about the scope and the opportunity of, say, Middle America. I don't you- think anyone did. <laughs> Yeah, like I remember having phone calls with Nutty and he's like, mate, your, your sandals going nuts. We just went to a university and this was back in the day of the reef chicks. And I'm like, we just put reef chicks in there and we do the colours of the universities and they just fly off the shelf. It's the best thing ever. And I'm just like, yeah. So I'm like, you can put those reef chicks anywhere and they'll sell things. But um, yeah, it was, it was just, we were, I think everyone in the company was tripping out. Yeah. And it was just like, hey, do we keep going with it? And it's like, well, still outselling everything else. We go again, we go again. And, and just new colorways come out and this and that. And it's, it's just, it's just yeah, it's a crazy, crazy thing. It's been one of those ones where it's just like, thank you for picking me. <laughs> yeah, because the product just probably would have done, and in the surf space, obviously, it wouldn't have done as well, but just getting into retail with that thing on there and you had your name attached everywhere like I, I'll, I'll fly around the world and, and I'll see the most random people wearing them I run into people and they're like yeah every year I get a new pair of sandals for Christmas and that's it and so just back on the, the young surface thing in terms of advice you would give them is that what it is just to focus on the surfing there's, there's so much going on in the in the world these days you know there's social media there's big money there's wave pools there's, there's, there's so much going on that you can get lost in it all. Your number one job is to just go surfing. Go and do that and focus on that. You know, have people around you that can help you in those other areas when it, when it needs to be done. And it's great that they're looking for different investments and stuff because, you know, one injury, you could be gone. So, yeah, it's cool they're looking in all these different areas, but number one focus should always be surfing. And so, personally, what was the best career advice you were ever given? Did anyone sit you down and give you something like that? I've had heaps. <laughs> Have you? Yeah. What's been good? Like, what, what's really connected with you? Probably not so much on the money side. It's more how you present yourself. I was sitting at a press conference and I was just so over it. I just did not want to be. I was being one of those precious little. A mate of mine comes up to me. He was coach of an um, NRL team back home. And he looks at me and goes, mate, you presented yourself so badly out there. And that right there, that's your company. Next one you're doing, smile the whole time. And be friendly and be engaging. And, and it, I was just like, good advice. How old were you? <laughs> um, I was, oh, what was it? It was, it was pretty young. In the, I was pretty young in the piece. It was like 2004, 2005. Right. Yeah. And did you make a concerted effort after that? Yeah, I tried. <laughs> There's still times where I'm sitting there. You know, at a press conference, waiting for Kelly, and it's like, oh, God, mate. 
<laughs> yeah, I think it's just, you know, once I started getting that in my head, like I'd look at guys like Rob Machado at a signing and he's so pumped. And yeah. it's just like... It's magnetic. Yeah, around yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, you have a look at his longevity. You know, yeah. He's been off tour for, what, since 2001, 2002. And he's still getting paychecks, you know. It's, it's the way that you sort of present yourself, I think, that gives you that longevity. TV does it well. Oh, TV is epic, really well. yeah. He just shows up and like, he, walk, he walks in a room and just the room lights up. Like mm-hmm. he's, um, yeah. It really he, works for him. Yeah, because he's that fun guy. And people yeah. oh, I want to be that dude, you know. And yeah. he, he sort of hasn't changed much since he was, you know, young and doing it. You know, you, you look at those people and you're like, all right, I've got to do a good job. <laughs> Any major regrets you've had? Yeah, anything you've kind of passed up you wish you hadn't? Look, at the, at the time when St. Nitro was going good, yeah, I was like, oh, I should have, should have jumped on that. But, you know, I did sort of, I wouldn't say it was a big regret. It was more just learning. You, you make mistakes. There's been other things where I have gone involved and I wasn't really trusting myself in that situation and they've fallen over. Oh, it's been just different little things here and there and it, it's like alright well. so you gut told you hey stay away from this and you kind of went yeah it was sort of like getting peer pressure from, from different people and it's like oh maybe I oh, I don't know yes no yes no yes no yes no yeah. and then you're like oh, fuck it let's go yeah. and I was like I should have just listened to the like if, if you're saying yes no a lot of the times maybe just say no <laughs> yeah. yeah there's always so many more opportunities mm. uh, and then what do you think the single best career decision you ever made is you can't you can't just just put one moment there there'll be moments throughout your whole career that sort of steer you down different paths that lead you to you know the good or the bad probably probably the biggest one it was probably missing soccer practice and going surfing with my brother at at d-bar and getting sponsored by quicksilver that day you never tell you this story no so i was meant to i was meant to go it's just when we moved to the gold coast and i I went to sign up for soccer and we went the wrong day. Sean was going down to meet Danny Tokino and Scott Peacock and see if we could get sponsored by Quicksilver. And I just went surfing anyway and I came in and Danny came up to me and he's like, hey, um, we're from Quicksilver. I was like, oh, cool, you're looking for Sean? Like <laughs> thinking, yeah, everyone knows that we're brothers. And they're like, what, you guys are brothers? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, oh, we might sponsor you too. And I was just like, hang on. I never went back to soccer. <laughs> So well, that's, that's probably the one best decision I ever made. <laughs> and what, what, how old are you, 13? I was 13, yeah. No, 12. 12, yeah. yeah. And then you signed with Ripco when you were uh, 16? 16, yeah. yeah. A brief interruption for some harmless product placement. Each of our guests will be asked three stylistically directed questions. How would you define your personal style? Um, simple. <laughs> very simple. Utilitarian? Uh, yeah, look, it's, just, it's very simple. Okay. <laughs> uh, what is your grooming routine? It's probably just, if I'm going out, then I'll put some product in my hair. But what kind of product are you I've used these guys before. Actually, you... there's a funny story. I was just looking at the photo over there. I'd never actually had a style cut before. <laughs> the Japanese dude came over and, and cut me hair and I was like what do I do with this on my head <laughs> and I, was like, I was tripping out I was probably tripping out and then uh, yeah so now I, go, I actually go to the barber now <laughs> do you? Yeah. how often? Um, whenever I need to get a cut oh, yeah, of yeah. course there a correlation between looking good feeling good confidence in your career it got to a point where 
like if my hair started getting too long, then I would be thinking about in the water. So that's why I just shave it off. Right. Yeah. So yeah. it was once it was short, you're ready for battle. Yeah, pretty much. And plus, because my my uh, hairline is so close to my eyebrows, I can't grow it long anyway, so I'd go blind. But um, that was pretty much it. I would shave my head and then I would just wear just just black because you didn't have to think about it. Yeah. It was just it was just something I just did not want to think about. So it was just, just shave the head, wear black, golden. Thanks again to our friends at Bird Products. Now back to the show. I don't think a lot of people know about your generosity. Help friends with addiction issues, friends with heavy duty relationship splits, and provide financial assistance to a lot of people. Uh, I don't actually know how to ask this question, but it's something I'd love to learn more about because I know nothing <laughs> about it. <laughs> there's, there's literally dozens of people you help. Yeah, and there's dozens of people that help me. It's one of those things where I don't think it needs to be put out in the world. Everyone goes through tough times. Everyone needs a helping hand. I know I have. Sometimes, you know, especially when it comes to like addictions and stuff like that, that could be the end of someone if you just don't, you know, reach out or something like that. Or it could be a, it could be a two-minute phone call that could save their life. Or but it's almost endless the number of people you can help. Like, what, how, what's your filtering process? Because you just get hit up about stuff all day long. I look at it as. You can try and help everyone. Some people don't want to get help. You might as well be talking to the fridge over there. You know, you, you just let them know that you're there and then if they're willing and open to talk, then you just talk. A lot of the time you just listen. Yeah, it's, I think you're understating it. Like, you, you give up your house for people. That, that was always a thing growing up. We always had people in our house. My mum was always like that, right. you know. The kids that were having fights with their parents or the kids that probably didn't have the best upbringing. My mum would just take them under the wing. We, we didn't have enough money to, to support them, but they would come in and eat all our food or, you know, and it was just, we just made it work. You know, we've just spoken for how long about money and this and that. What are you going to do if you keep all that money to yourself and just take it to your grave? You're going to make a blanket when you're dead? You're already dead. I, I sort of feel like it, it, it always goes around in full circle. You know, you might buy a dinner here and one day they might buy your dinner. And you don't have to, but it's just like, yeah, it just comes out in the wash. And like, as I said, like I've, I've been in times where I've needed help and I've had mates just show up, you know, give me their time and crying on their shoulder or something like that. It's just, it's just full circle. Everything goes in full circle. And... Sure, you get people that, you know, just hit you up all the time for money, 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 this, this, and this, and it's like, well... What do you do about that? How do you deal with that? You've got to look at the reasons why they want it. I'm not in the... I'm not the guy to give out free handouts. Like, if, if you're in a bad spot and you're willing to help yourself and you need a hand, I'm happy to help you out. But if you're just sitting there and you're just taking money and just blowing it, fuck you. <laughs> you you're just... Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that, I guess that's a different kind of generosity generosity those times at the beach where it would take you 30 40 yeah but as i said as we were talking before that that's that's part of your job um sometimes it pisses you off like if i'm eating dinner that's when it oh I, that makes my blood boil right like if someone comes up can i have a photo while you like you mid spoon for it's like no yeah it's my time yeah you know you can sit and wait and we can do it after but 
right now, this is my time. I'm like, no, nah, I'm over it. And it's not fair to the people you're dining with. Like, yeah, exactly. You're exactly. Not yeah, yeah. And it, you know, growing up, I just yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I got to the end of the meal and say, like, you know, I didn't even speak to the person I was with. Yeah. And and then I feel bad. So it's like, all right, I feel bad for ten seconds telling you to go away, but you can wait if you want. But it's it's it, there's just times like some people just don't have etiquette. <laughs> yeah, and they think. And they probably don't have the opportunity to pounce in they see and they just get that rush of blood. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm happy to do it sometimes. Sometimes I'm... But then, then, then there's other times where I'm just having a shit day and I don't want to do it. Yeah. And and it's like, people just think, oh, he's a dick. And I say, well, maybe I was a dick that day. Pitched ideas to you in the past 12 months and you sort of pick and choose and say, yeah, I like this one, I don't like this one. But I've said, hey, I think we can raise money for charity and then you just... Like I was like a light bulb moment. Like, I think we could raise a million bucks for charity if we do this. And you said, "Hey, if we could do something more meaningful like this, which was raising money to to clean up the ocean or whatever it is, I'm all in." I'd rather use my time to do something meaningful. If you can go and make an impact in a in a big way, it could change a lot more than you know just posting about. Oh, don't use straws or this or that. Yep. Like, like, sure, that's great. Like, the, the awareness out there is awesome. But by the time you've... If you accumulate all the times that you're searching for a plastic straw photo, you could have been out there picking them up. And you don't have to tell anyone. You just go and do it. Awareness is... It's just the most benign word. It doesn't mean anything. It's like, what, what is it? And, it, and it, it's hard. Like, like, I don't want to use plastics and this and that. But... It's 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 so hard to get around. Like, okay, well, if I if I use that, then all right. I sort of have a thing where if I'm walking the beach and I just see plastic, just pick it up. Yeah. You know, you don't need to tell everyone and this and that. And I think there's so many of those things down across social media these days. So you just get lost in it. Like, who do you follow and stuff? They're all doing great jobs. Don't get me wrong, but I'd rather just do one big fuck off bang go alright there's a million bucks for a charity go and do what you can or you know I, I work with like Starlight Foundation and, and MND like motor neurons disease and it's like trying to figure out ways to just just get people aware and it's like instead of just showing up and doing a meet and greet do something where you can just create not only awareness but a story for people to keep going on with and because like especially in the people side of things and the animal side of things that's I think that's it's really sort of heart wrenching at times but it's so empowering you know I went to a a motor neurons function once and we just showed up and we, we just tried to create beer and 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 just like just raise awareness and you know get people to donate and stuff like that the stories that were coming at me I was just like I was just so baffled like what these people go through every day stories about sick kids yeah yeah like even just walking through and and like they're telling telling you like thanks so much and it's like I could be doing more you know And, and so that's that's sort of I feel like I can do more in those spaces and but yeah, this one time I, I jumped in the car and I just bawled my eyes out. Like I was, I still feel it now. It's like, 
it was just so empowering. So like, they, how how can you figure out? What did you see? Like, what it what it connected with you? Just like the stories of these people, like they're fully there in the brain and everything, but their body just gives way, and they're just so thankful just for they know their time is coming at a, at a point but they're just like thanks for help trying to find a cure for the next person you know it's all like a pay it forward thing and right. that's empowering and then on the on the wildlife side of it one thing that that sort of resonated with me was a mate of mine Harchi he was just like do you want your grandkids to be able to see a rhino or a lion in the wild and it's just like fuck yeah <laughs> you know I want my great grandkids and you know, generations ahead. And, and so that's where I'm like, all right, that's why I've got to help. You know, it's, it's a pay it forward thing. It's not just look at me. Thanks for your time, Mick. No worries, brother. Cheers. Appreciate it. Sorry if I talk too much rubbish. <laughs>